From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing, Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance, and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Bigham, with you on this Thursday, November sixteenth, two thousand twenty-three. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, the Chinese president's proposed a plan for promoting cooperation between Beijing and Washington. Israeli troops have withdrawn from Al Shifa Hospital in Gaza after a 16-hour military operation. The UK is planning to confirm Rwanda as a safe country to support a deportation scheme for asylum seekers. In business, China's top economic regulator is working on more policy support. In sports, Team China's World Cup qualifier in Thailand. In culture and entertainment. A gathering of experts at the Sanjingdui ruins in Sichuan Province. Now the day's top stories. Chinese President Xi Jinping has proposed five pillars to ease strained relations and push cooperation between China and the United States. President Xi made the remarks during a summit on Wednesday with his U.S. counterpart Joe Biden in San Francisco, California. The two leaders sat down for the first time since last year's meeting in Bali, Indonesia. Liu Wei has more. President Xi Jinping and his U.S. counterpart Joe Biden met for a summit during Xi's first trip to the United States in six years. It is their first meeting in a year since they last met on the sidelines of the G20 summit in Bali. In opening remarks, President Xi underscored his long-standing view that cooperation between the world's two largest economies will benefit both their peoples and the rest of the world. He said China-U.S. relations should be perceived in the broad context of global transformations unseen in a century, and pointed out that major country competition cannot solve the problems facing the two nations or the world. President Xi said the world is big enough for the two countries to succeed. 
My view is consistent, which is that major country competition is not a prevailing trend of current times, and cannot solve the problems facing China and the United States or the world at large. Planet Earth is big enough for the two countries to succeed, and one country's success is an opportunity for the other. During their talks, President Xi explained Chinese modernization and its significance. President Xi made it clear that China does not have a plan to unseat the United States, but the Chinese president said the U.S. should not scheme to suppress and contain China. He said that despite differences in culture and social systems, mutual respect could pave the way for more promising relations. It is an objective fact that China and the United States are different in history. Culture, social system, and development path. However, as long as we respect each other, coexist in peace, and pursue win-win cooperation, we will be fully capable of rising above differences and find the right way for the two major countries to get along with each other. I firmly believe in a promising future of the bilateral relationship. President Xi pointed out that mutual respect, peaceful coexistence, and win-win cooperation are the lessons learned. From 50 years of China-U.S. relations and from geopolitical conflicts in history, he called on China and the U.S. to exert more effort in putting these lessons into practice. The Chinese president proposed building together five pillars for better bilateral ties. First, developing a right perception of each other, so the two countries can coexist in mutual respect and peace. Second. Managing disagreements and untoward incidents effectively through calm, frequent communication. Third, advancing mutually beneficial cooperation, not just in traditional areas like trade, but in emerging and urgent issues such as climate change and artificial intelligence. Fourth, shouldering responsibilities as major countries by stepping up coordination and cooperation on international and regional issues. Fifth, promoting people-to-people -people exchanges. President Xi Jinping also reaffirmed China's position on the Taiwan question. He told the U.S. to stop arming Taiwan and support China's peaceful reunification, stressing that China's reunification with the Taiwan region is unstoppable. On trade, he urged the U.S. to lift export controls and unilateral sanctions on Chinese economic entities, saying these actions hurt China's legitimate interests. President Xi said technological innovation is a driver of China's high-quality development. Attempts to stifle the country's technological growth are moves to contain the progress of China and its people. For his part, President Biden said it was important to keep the two countries' competition in check, and called for joint efforts to tackle common challenges. We have to ensure that competition does not veer into conflict, and we also have to manage it responsibly. The competition—that's what the United States wants, and what we intend to do. We also—I also believe that's what the world wants for both of us: candid exchange. We also have a responsibility to our people and the work and the world、uh, to work together when we see it in our interest to do so. The U.S. president said, "A stable and developing China serves the interests of the U.S. and the world." President Biden reaffirmed his own five points. The U.S. does not seek a new Cold War or to change the Chinese system. It does not seek to strengthen alliances against China. The U.S. does not support Taiwan independence, and has no intention of conflict with China.
Presidents Xi and Biden acknowledge China-U.S. ties as the most important bilateral relationship in the world. They called on all countries to treat each other with respect, find a way to coexist peacefully, and maintain open lines of communication. They stressed the importance of preventing conflict, upholding the UN Charter, cooperating on areas of shared interest, and managing competitive aspects of the relationship. The two presidents agreed to promote dialogue and cooperation on emerging issues such as artificial intelligence, and to resume high-level military-to-military communication on the basis of equality and respect. They agreed to further increase passenger flights between the U.S. and China early next year, and expand educational, student, youth, cultural, sports, and business exchanges. The two leaders will accelerate joint efforts. To tackle the climate crisis in this critical decade, after the summit, President Biden hosted a lunch for President Xi, where the two leaders' discussions on international issues included the Israel-Palestine conflict. They also took a walk at Falali Estate and agreed to maintain regular contact. That was Liu Wei on the meeting between the leaders of China and the United States in San Francisco. President Xi Jinping has emphasized the importance of more viable channels of communication in the face of challenges to China-U.S. relations at a welcome dinner in San Francisco. In a speech to U.S. executives, Xi Jinping stressed the role of people in bilateral ties. The future of China-U.S. relations will be created by people. The more difficult times are, the more necessary it is to strengthen our bonds and enhance people-to-people communication. We need more people to stand out and speak for China-U.S. relations. We should build more bridges and pave more roads for interaction. We must not erect barriers or create a chilling effect. At the welcome dinner, President Xi also announced that China is ready to invite 50,000 young Americans to China on exchange and study programs in the next five years to increase exchanges between the two peoples and especially between the youth. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi called the meeting between the Chinese and U.S. leaders important to enhance trust and manage differences in China-U.S. relations. Wang says the meeting injects certainty and stability into a changing world. He also reiterates that the Taiwan question has been and will always be the crux of China-U.S. relations. Of course, we talked about disagreements and sensitive issues. President Xi Jinping stressed that China is committed to building a stable, healthy, and sustainable U.S.-China relationship. And at the same time, China has legitimate interests that must be safeguarded, principled positions that must be defended, and red lines that must be adhered to. If the U.S. insists on encircling and suppressing China in the name of competition, China will firmly safeguard its sovereignty, security, and development interests. China demands that the United States abide by the One China principle, oppose Taiwan independence, stop arming Taiwan, stop interfering in China's internal affairs, and support China's peaceful reunification. Wang Yi says China and the United States can and should find the right way to get along, and San Francisco should be a new beginning to forge a vision to further strengthen the foundation of bilateral relations. 
Leaders from APEC member economies and top global decision makers have expressed optimism following the meeting between Chinese President Xi Jinping and U.S. President Joe Biden. Many delegates say the meeting's a sign of an opening economy and trade. Malaysian Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim says it's something he'd like to see from the APEC meeting in San Francisco. Looking forward to a more meaningful exchange. Uh, without that protectionist policies, without the prejudice, China has emerged and uh, is an important player. And we in the region want uh, this recognition to, re- uh, to react and accept China as a great friend and a great ally. And it's, it's not a zero-sum game. Price Waterhouse Cooper's Asia Pacific Vice Chairman Sreed Heronair says healthy China-U.S. relations benefit the world. I think there's a great degree of uh, optimism and expectation from the meeting between uh, the leaders of two economic superpowers in this world, I believe. The climate of doing business is is difficult, but having two of the world leaders getting together and uh, setting the path and the right tone for the discussions that will happen at APEC, I think it will be, uh, so the whole event will be watched with a lot of interest. Eurasia Group President and Founder Ian Bremmer says the bilateral meeting is particularly crucial in AI development. It's very important that the U.S. and Chinese are working together, especially as we think about joint standards on artificial intelligence and avoiding weaponization of artificial intelligence. President Xi's last meeting with President Biden took place in Indonesia last year. A multi-billion dollar company near Chicago has a big stake in China-U.S. trade. Uh, the Wanxiang America Corporation also helps local businesses and jobs. Dan Williams visited the owner at the automotive and industrial company to learn how he thinks China-U.S. relations will affect trade and economics. Pinney busily inspects his warehouse. But well, we have too many of those. Wanxiang America Corporation, based in Elgin, Illinois, near Chicago, is an incredible success story. In 1994, Pin founded the company with an initial $20,000 investment. Since then, it has grown to become a $4 billion conglomerate with interests in auto parts, clean energy, private equity and real estate. Over the years, Pin has watched the ebb and flow of relations between the U.S. and China, although in recent times that relationship has been characterized by tensions. Obviously, it is very challenging. But I call there's a two trade relation, right? One is a true business trade relation. The logic has not changed. However, on top of that, there is another layer of the trade relationship. This is a political trade relationship. That is absolutely terrible. That has caused you know, a lot of loss for, for people on both sides. A buzzword among U.S. policymakers in recent months is that of de-risking, a push to mitigate the vulnerabilities posed by shaky economic ties between the U.S. and China. The move appears to be a step away from decoupling, implying efforts to curb risks while avoiding a clean break. But Pin Ni is among those who believe, in the end, the markets will decide. I don't think anybody can stop globalization. Many people can try to slow it down, but at the end, the globalization is going to move forward because the anti-globalization, the cost will be too high. Despite recent tensions, Chinese companies still invested more than $28 billion into the U.S. last year. 
Although that's down from the high of nearly $39 billion in 2019, it's about double the amount Chinese firms invested in the U.S. in 2015. Added to that, the two-way trade between the two countries last year was worth almost $700 billion, a record high. I do have a hope. The hope is that the leaders on both sides can be rational, can be professional, can be open-minded, can focus on the people's benefit from these two countries. If they do do that, I'm confident both sides can find a way to move forward. That was a Chinese entrepreneur at a U.S.-based company on his hopes about the future of bilateral ties. Coming up, the Israeli military is withdrawn from Al-Shifa Hospital in Gaza. From sustainability and digitalization to trade, health, and energy security, 21 major Asian-Pacific economies gather to address the most pressing global challenges and to create a future of sustainable economic growth. Join CGTN for our coverage of APEC 2023. We're at 15 minutes past the hour. Israeli Defense Forces have pulled out from Gaza's largest hospital, Al-Shifa, after a 16-hour military operation on Wednesday. Israel claimed that Hamas had a command center in the hospital, an allegation denied by Hamas and the hospital. The Israeli military is demanding residents in southern Gaza evacuate the area immediately, saying that uh, any area or facilities believed to be used by Hamas will be targeted. Meantime, the World Health Organization said 26 of 36 hospitals in Gaza have shut down. The UN says over 4,600 children have died and over 9,000 have been injured since the conflict started last month. Uh, for the latest situation at Al-Shifa, Noor Harazin reports from Gaza. Hundreds of thousands of residents of Gaza City and northern Gaza have fled their homes over the past month. Many have walked for days with very little but the clothes on their backs. They don't have homes or relatives or know where their next meal is coming from. The United Nations is providing tents for the displaced, some of which are in open areas such as the Al-Mawasi camp. Mahmoud Abu Sharikh fled his home and although he found a tent for shelter, he does not have basic needs. We rarely have any access to clean water. We wait for hours. Quality food and drinking water are in short supply here. The camp is in the desert and is filled with insects and snakes. We are appealing to the whole world who are witnessing what we're going through. Please do something. If we don't get killed by the airstrikes, we will die of hunger. According to the UN, more than 1.6 million people have been displaced throughout the Gaza Strip since the start of fighting in October. There are about 800,000 displaced people now residing in 154 UN facilities. 26-year-old Samir Manna left his home after it was bombed in central Gaza City. With no job, he bought children toys and he is now selling them inside the Al-Mawasi camp to provide food for his family. I think there is no... A human on earth can't see what's happening in Gaza. It's obvious that this is a genocide. This is something uh, unseen before. The situation in Gaza is unbearable. This is a catastrophe in all words, in all meanings. Approximately 160,000 displaced people 
were residing in 57 United Nations Relief and Works Agency schools in northern Gaza before the evacuation order. However, UNRWA is unable to access these shelters to assist the displaced and does not have information about their needs. That was Noor Harazin in Gaza. The Israeli armies released a video that purports to show weapons and ammunition recovered at the Al-Shifa hospital. Hamas has dismissed this as lies and cheap propaganda. Sarah Coates has more from Tel Aviv. Well, look, Israel's now saying that it has concrete evidence that Hamas uses Al-Shifa hospital as a military base. It didn't exactly reveal what this concrete evidence is, but it says it will publish portions of it in the near future. Now, we also uh, heard these reports of scuffles, even fights and shooting breaking out inside Al-Shifa hospital. But the Israeli military has now come out to say that there was no friction uh, between Israeli authorities, Israeli troops inside Al-Shifa hospital and patients uh, saying that these troops were there to deliver aid, saying that they delivered incubators, baby food, medical supplies, adding that medical teams were on the ground to facilitate all of this going around. Now, we did also hear from the Israeli Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, just a short while ago. He made a trip down to the south of Israel on the Gaza border there to an Israeli training facility. He said, we will reach the Hamas operatives in every corner of the Gaza Strip, saying that there is no place we will not reach. Now, uh, one thing, though, that remains unclear is just how long this will go on for, with a senior Israeli army official and uh, unnamed army official coming out earlier today on army radio saying that uh, we uh, will expand as necessary, but not giving any further details on that. That was Sarah Coates in Tel Aviv. The UN Security Council's adopted a resolution calling for urgent and extended humanitarian pauses in fighting between Israel and Hamas in the Gaza Strip to allow aid access. The resolution urges humanitarian pauses and corridors throughout Gaza for a sufficient number of days to facilitate the provision of essential goods and services and to enable urgent rescue and recovery efforts. It won the support of 12 out of the 15 council members with the U.S., U.K. and Russia abstaining. Palestinian permanent observer at the U.N. Riyadh Mansour says conflict in Gaza must end immediately. The bombings and incursions must stop now. Humanitarian uh, aid must come in now, not drop by drop, just to pretend that the criminal siege has been lifted, but effectively bringing it to an end. Fuel must come in now. Thousands of lives, millions of lives hang in the balance. The resolution also calls for the immediate and unconditional release of all hostages. It's the first uh, resolution on Gaza adopted by the UN Security Council since the latest conflict between Israel and Palestine broke out on October the 7th. Reports indicate barrages of rocket fire on the Israel-Lebanon border as Israel's front with Hezbollah continues to heat up. The Israeli army confirmed that it had traced a number of launches toward its territory from Lebanon. Hezbollah has been exchanging fire with Israeli forces on an almost daily basis since the latest Israel-Palestine conflict broke out. Over 70 Hezbollah fighters have been killed.
Coming up, the UK plans legislative changes to support a deportation scheme for asylum seekers. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. We're at 22 minutes past the hour. UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak says his government will introduce emergency legislation that will confirm Rwanda as a safe country. comes after the Supreme Court ruled that the government's scheme to deport asylum seekers to the East African country is unlawful. Sunak says he does not agree with the decision, but he respects and accepts it. He says the UK is working on a new international treaty with Rwanda. This will provide a guarantee in law that those who are relocated from the UK to Rwanda will be protected against removal from Rwanda. And it will make clear that we will bring back anyone if ordered to do so by a court. We will finalise the treaty in light of today's judgment and ratify it without delay. The UK reached a deal with Rwanda in April 2022, where illegal immigrants and asylum seekers would be sent to the East African country to have their claims processed there. Uh, They will be granted permanent residency in Rwanda if successful, rather than allowed to return to the UK. The UK hopes that the deal will help deter migrants crossing the English Channel from Europe in small boats. The Supreme Court says there are substantial grounds to believe that asylum seekers will face a a real risk of ill-treatment if deep Reported to Rwanda. Germany could be set for a generational shift in its immigration policy. Chancellor Olaf Scholz wants to drastically cut approvals for asylum applications. He's also looking at ideas from countries like the UK, Italy, and Denmark, which include applications being processed outside the country. Peter Oliver has more. Chancellor Scholz wants big changes to the way Germany deals with asylum applications. It is our goal that asylum requests and the hearing of the people seeking protection take place at the initial reception center. It is widely predicted that those centers will be outside of Germany. Schultz has said he's looking closely at Italy's deal with Albania to hold migrants while applications for asylum are assessed. In the first nine months of this year, Germany accepted 230,000 asylum applicants. That's more than in the whole of 2022. It's seen emergency accommodation pushed to its very limits and local authorities stretched. And those figures don't even include the more than one million Ukrainian refugees. The change of policy from Berlin means that instead of having to negotiate each year with central government, Germany's 16 states will receive a sum of around $8,000 per person per year for housing. Schulz's party have been pummeled in the polls, and local elections in the states of Hesse and Bavaria saw gains for anti-immigrant far-right parties. Government estimates show that plans could save over a billion dollars from the federal budget. The Chancellor appears to be trying to show he's not soft on migration. I don't want to use big words, but I would like to say that I believe this is a historic moment as we sit here, in light of an unquestionable huge challenge with very large numbers of migrants and irregular migration. We have managed for all levels of the state to closely cooperate, which is necessary. People expect this of us. There will also be an overhaul of deportation rules, supposedly making it easier to remove those people whose asylum applications have failed on deportation flights 
However, how that will be implemented remains to be seen. There are currently over 200,000 people in Germany who have had asylum applications turned down and cannot be repatriated. Some for reasons as simple as no other nation will take them in. And that was Peter Oliver in Germany. Russia says it's not obligated to help filter migrants heading to Finland. Foreign Ministry spokesperson Maria Zakharova made the remarks after the Finnish government accused Russia of funneling asylum seekers to cross points along the border. The Finnish authorities themselves recognize that the Russian side is not obliged to engage in what they call filtering migrants. We would like to hope that common sense will prevail in Helsinki, and they will abandon destructive ideas of the total closure of the border. This will lead to new dividing lines in Europe. Finland adopted legislation last year to allow crossing points to receive asylum applications if they experienced mass immigration orchestrated by another country. A hospital in the Haitian capital has evacuated all patients from the facility amid gun battles. Workers at the Fontaine Hospital Center in Port-au-Prince rushed patients out as gang members fired gunshots nearby. A nearby port has also halted the distribution of fuel, with no trucks able to transport gasoline, diesel or kerosene. The Haitian capital saw an increase in gang violence this week following the death of local gang leader Iskar Andres, a founder of the G9 Gang Alliance. Talented people around the globe who've been busy uh, breaking records, uh, who've been busy breaking records, doing all kinds of things, are celebrated on the Guinness World Records Day. In the UK, Paul Swift got set up at a uh, famous motor racing course, Silverstone, and set a new world record for the tightest gap driven through by a pickup truck on two wheels. He squeezed through the gap of just 88 centimeters. Uh, there was also joy in China for a challenger who set a new record for the most consecutive leg full twist back somersaults doing 11 in a row we're at 28 minutes past the hour uh, beijing's down to minus one overnight that'll be followed by sunny skies and a high of 10 on friday chongqing's nine tonight then sunny in 16 last is down to zero then clouds in 16 hong kong's down to 18 degrees then sunny with a high of 23 elsewhere tokyo's 11 overnight it'll be getting showers in 16 on friday islamabad's 12 tonight tomorrow mostly cloudy in 26 bangkok's down to 24 degrees then partly cloudy in 33 in africa nairobi's getting thunderstorms in 23 degrees celsius it's time for a short break. So far this hour, the Chinese president's proposed a plan for promoting cooperation between Beijing and Washington. Israeli troops have withdrawn from Al-Shifa hospital in Gaza after a, a 16-hour military operation. The UK is planning to confirm Rwanda as a safe country to support a deportation scheme for asylum seekers. Shane Bigham with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. 
We have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Deutsche Director of the International Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Thursday. Still to come. In business, China's top economic regulator is working on more policy support. In sports, Team China's World Cup qualifier in Thailand. In culture and entertainment, a gathering of experts at the Sanxingdui Ruins in Sichuan Province. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. But first of all, with the day's headline news, here's Do Hongyu. Thank you, Shane. Chinese President Xi Jinping has proposed five pillars to ease the strained relations, restore trust and respect, and promote cooperation between China and the United States and for the good of the world. He made the proposal during a meeting with U.S. President Joe Biden in San Francisco, their first face-to-face sit-down in a year. My view is consistent, which is that major country competition is not a prevailing trend of current times and cannot solve the problems facing China and the United States or the world at large. Planet Earth is big enough for the two countries to succeed, and one country's success is an opportunity for the other. President Biden said it's important to keep the two countries' competition in check and called for joint efforts to tackle common challenges. We have to ensure that competition does not veer into conflict. And we also have to manage it responsibly, that competition. We also have a responsibility to our people and the work in the world uh, to work together when we see it in our interest to do so. The two presidents agreed to resume high-level military-to-military communication on the basis of equality and respect. Presidents Xi and Biden will attend the 30th APEC Economic Leaders Meeting on Thursday in San Francisco. President Xi Jinping has emphasized the importance of more viable channels of communication in the face of challenges to China-U.S. relations and a welcome dinner in San Francisco. In a speech to U.S. executives, Xi Jinping stressed the role of people in bilateral ties. The future of China-U.S. relations will be created by people. The more difficult times are, the more necessary it is to strengthen our bounds and enhance people-to-people communication. We need more people to stand out and speak for China-U.S. relations. We should build more bridges and pave more roads for interaction. We must not erect barriers or create a chilling effect. At the welcome dinner, President Xi also announced that China is ready to invite 50,000 young Americans to China on exchange and study programs in the next five years to increase exchanges between the two peoples, especially between the youth. 
Now let's move on to the Israel-Palestine conflict. Israeli Defense Forces have pulled out from Gaza's largest hospital, Al-Shifa, after a 16-hour military operation on Wednesday. Israel claimed that Hamas had a command center in the hospital. Hamas and the hospital deny the allegation. The Israeli military is demanding residents in southern Gaza evacuate immediately, saying that any area or facilities believed to be used by Hamas will be targeted. Meanwhile, the World Health Organization said 26 of 36 hospitals in Gaza have shut down. The UN says over 4,600 children have died and over 9,000 have been injured since the conflict started last month. The UN Security Council has adopted a resolution calling for urgent and extended humanitarian pauses and corridors in Gaza. The resolution demands that all parties comply with their obligations under international law, notably with regard to the protection of civilians. The resolution calls for the immediate and unconditional release of all hostages held by Hamas and other groups, especially children. It calls on all parties to refrain from depriving the civilian population in Gaza of basic services and humanitarian assistance indispensable to their survival. And finally, in China, at least 26 people have died in a fire that ripped through a building at a coal mine in Shanxi province. Officials in the city of Liliang say the fire broke out on the second floor of the five-story building. More than 60 people have been sent to hospital for treatment. The cause of the fire remains unclear. Rescue efforts are still underway. Right, thank you very much. That was Do Hongyu with Headline News. This is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's top economic regulator is working on more policy support. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. 36 past the hour. Turning to business and starting with the markets, uh, stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished lower on Thursday. Timothy Pope has more. So we saw the Shanghai Composite Index ending the session down by about seven-tenths of one percent, while the Shenzhen component lost uh, one and a quarter percent, closing back below 10,000 points. The vast majority of uh, Chinese mainland stocks endured losses today. Uh, new materials stocks, new energy stocks, healthcare and semiconductor shares were uh, all among those leading the declines. Uh, PC maker Lenovo was down 2.7% after its results showed a 16% drop in quarterly revenue. That was uh, in line with the, what the markets had been expecting as uh, the supply of PCs continues to exceed demand. Uh, but the quarter uh, ending in September was the fifth in a row uh, in which uh, Lenovo reported a decline in sales. Uh, EV maker Xpeng was another dealing with lackluster results. Uh, its stock was down at 3.9% and dragged down other EV stocks too. Uh, that came after a bigger than expected quarterly loss and revenue that didn't quite meet market expectations. And that was Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index was down nearly 1.4%. In Japan, the Nikkei lost over four-tenths of a percent. 
China's top economic regulators pledged to do more to boost domestic demand, support private enterprises, and attract foreign investment. The National Development and Reform Commission says the Chinese economy maintained an upward trend in October as production and supply increased steadily and market expectations remain stable. The commission says it will enhance communication with private companies and offer more policy support. It's also pledged to promote a wider opening up for the service industry and a fair competition and business environment. More Chinese cities reported falling home prices in October as the once booming property sector continues a transformation with drops in both investment and sales. Official data shows that 56 of 70 large and medium-sized cities saw month-on-month drops in new home prices. That's up from 54 in September. More cities also registered price declines in secondhand homes last month. The government's rolled out a series of supportive policies for the uh, housing market in recent months. Those include lower interest rates on existing mortgages for first-time home uh, home loans and easing mortgage rules. For more on China's property market, Michael Wang spoke with Zhou Mi, a senior research fellow at the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation. Dr. Zhou, according to China's Statistics Bureau, more Chinese cities reported a decline in home prices on average in October. So we saw 56 out of 70 large and medium-sized cities seeing month-on-month drops in new home prices what do you make of the latest movements in home prices here in China? Yes, I would think that uh, if we're talking about the number of the cities, they are, they are not all for the cities are decreased the prices. But if you are see the ten, the extent of the decrease is a very small, about zero point two or zero point four percent compared with last month. So I think that it's uh, still a soft landing. I mean that. Uh, the, when the people are trying to buy the houses, they may have different opinions. Some of them are coming from the investment uh, demand, and some of them are trying to make the houses for their own living. So actually, that uh, I, I believe that the investment uh, is not the main factor that will affect the, the prices. So it's a kind of uh, a rebalance, I would believe is uh, good news. That was Joe Mi, Senior Research Fellow at the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, offering his insights on China's property market. Official data shows that China's cross-border capital flows became more balanced in October, with net inflows under trade in goods up 52% from September. Uh, last month, foreign exchange settlement surpassed 160 billion U.S. dollars, and sales by banks reached 168 billion. From January to October, the amount of foreign exchange settlement reached 1.8 trillion U.S. dollars. Uh, foreign investment in the domestic bond market continued to rise in October, following a net increase in September. Authorities say, with the uh, continuous improvement of internal and external environments, China's foreign uh, exchange market and cross-border capital flows are expected to remain stable in the future. The theme of this year's APEX Summit is creating a resilient and sustainable future for all. In its over 30-year history, APEC has made the region more connected and inclusive. And for more, Li Dongneng spoke with Shui Lan, Dean of Schwartzman College at Tsinghua University. The report from the Asian Development Bank, the ADB, says China will account for over 64% of the Asia-Pacific economic growth this year. So how can both China and U.S. continue this upwards trajectory and improve ties moving forward? Indeed, as you said, that indeed, you know, China and the U.S. both are the major economists in the world and particularly, of course, in the APEC region. 
uh, I think uh, China uh, was the, last, uh, the world's largest exporter of merchandise trade in last year and amounting to about um, uh, close to uh, uh, 3,600 billions of US dollars. And also, of course, China's trade with the APEC economies also uh, is really, I think, very uh, you know strong. And last year, about 60% of China's trade was with, with APEC members. Eight of ten top trading partners are APEC economies. So I think that indeed um, China is uh, making a huge contributions to APEC economies. While at the same time, the APEC economies are also extremely important part partners of Chinese economy. So I think this is a really a a, a very important uh, partnership mm. for both China and for APEC. Right. So they are complementary with the, with each other. Um, exactly. And uh, China has always been paying attention to the development of the uh, uh, developing economies. Both uh, developed and developing economies are, of course, part of APEC. So how can these members complement each other's strengths to reach the goals of common development and uh, global modernization? Well, I, I think actually one thing that, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, APEC economists, uh, I think, uh, compared to other regions, is that there's a very strong economic dynamism mm. in the APEC region. If you look at the, you know, the probably last, uh, you know, 10, 15 years, uh, the economic growth rate in, in general, I think, in the region has been very strong. Mm. So I, I think, uh, so, so I think this region is really, I think, uh, in, in a period of uh, rapid economic growth, mm. which actually helps the global economy very well. I think the second thing is that the, the region has also uh, been, uh, you know, a very strong innovative leaders. Right. Uh, you know, Chinese uh, economy and uh, many others mm. in the region are, are really, um, you know, very strong in mm. IT uh, innovations and in uh, renewable energies and so on. And uh, that was Shui Lan, Dean of Schwarzman College at Tsinghua University, talking about how economic growth of APEC members can contribute to common development and global modernization. Reports show economic exchanges across the Taiwan Strait are rising with a slew of business events in various places. Fujian and Jiangsu provinces, which are in close proximity to Taiwan, have recently hosted several events. Uh, Zhu Feng Lian the spokeswoman of the Taiwan Affairs Office of the State Council. On November the 8th, the 12th Cross-Strait Machinery Industry Expo and the 14th China Longyan Investment Project Fair were held in Longyan, Fujian Province. The expo focused on industrial development, new energy and new materials, machinery from Taiwan and intelligent manufacturing. 25 industrial projects were signed on site, involving investment of 24.6 billion yuan. An event was held to help Taiwan business people gain an in-depth understanding of investment opportunities in Longyan, facilitate cooperation on key projects, and deepen the integrated development of Fujian and Taiwan. On November 11th, Beijing hosted an expo for companies in the uh, Zhengzhou Taiwan Investment Zone in Fujian Province to present their products. The 17th Taiwan Business Forum that started on Tuesday is underway till Thursday in Huai'an, Jiangsu Province. The forum intends to to help Taiwan enterprises and businesses seize the development opportunities presented by the Yangtze River Economic Belt and the Yangtze River Delta. 
a number of global financial institutions have raised their forecast for China's economic growth in 2024, projecting a steady recovery of the Chinese economy. Goldman Sachs' latest economic analysis predicts that the country's market will continue the recovery momentum from last or, or next year, rather, uh, fueling a bullish sentiment overall. Uh, UBS has uh, announced an economic forecast with a similarly positive view. In its report for next year, it says China's consumption and service industries will continue to recover and investment related to green transformation will remain strong. In terms of investment, Goldman Sachs says that the growth rate of China's manufacturing and infrastructure investment are expected to accelerate in 2024 with the support of fiscal and monetary policies. UBS projects large growth potential for China's new energy investment, water conservancy projects, urban transportation networks, and public facilities. Official data shows that the industrial enterprises above the designated size in China generated more than 7.3 trillion kilowatt hours of electricity in the first 10 months of the year, up 4.4%. Industrial enterprises above designated size are companies with annual revenue from principal business over 20 million yuan, or around 2.8 million US dollars. In October, these enterprises generated over 700 billion kilowatt hours of electricity, up 5.2%. From January to October, the country's total electricity consumption increased 5.8 percent. That was today's business news. Coming up in sports, Team China's World Cup qualifier in Thailand. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. We're at 47 minutes past the hour now. Turning to sports, and here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. We begin with football, and China will kick off its World Cup qualifying campaign tonight at Thailand. China lost to Thailand the last time the two teams faced off in 2019. China coach Alexander Yankovic believes his men are ready for the game. China national team is ready for the beginning of the competition and all the players extremely motivated and excited to be part of this campaign. We have a high and very clear targets as all the other teams. Of course, everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to make the step towards the World Cup. That's the biggest possible challenge in football. I'm happy to share this experience and campaign with this uh, these players uh, of China and this group of people in the Chinese national team. Happy to be here, motivated, excited and determined also to make good results. China will next play on home soil against South Korea five days after this match. China wrapped up its first student games with a vibrant closing ceremony in Nanning. It celebrated the energy and dynamism of the young participants. Held under the theme A Tribute to Youth, the closing event showcased music, dance and a cultural exhibition. The Games witnessed 11 world youth records, the tying of one world record and the improvement of three Asian records. Additionally, athletes broke several Chinese national youth and student records. Throughout the event, athletes participated in various social and cultural activities. This aligns with China's goal to deepen the integration of sports and education. Notably, the student games also marked Guangxi's debut as a host for a national sports event. Cricket World Cup hosts India breezed into the final with a 70-run victory over New Zealand in Mumbai. Virat Kohli scored a record 50th one-day international century before Mohammad Shami took seven wickets. Kohli eclipsed compatriot Sachin Tendulkar's tally of 49 ODI hundreds by scoring 117 in India's 397 for four. 
He also broke Tendorka's record for the most runs in a single World Cup. He took his haul for the tournament to 711. New Zealand were bowled out for 327 in 48.5 overs and missed out on the final. In tennis, Spain's Carlos Alcaraz earned victory over a tormented Andrei Rublev at the ATP Finals in Turin. Alcaraz eased to a 7-5-6-2 win to revive his hopes in red group. Alcaraz was happy with his performance. Well, I think a lot. I think uh, it was a totally different match, totally different level for me. Uh, you know, that's the, the level that I have to play, you know, against this, uh, this beast. You know, if I, if I want to give my, myself a chance, you know, in this uh, amazing tournament. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, yesterday was a, a really good day for me in the practice, you know, uh, to, to practice uh, the level that I have to, to show today. And I think I, I did pretty well, you know, that, that, uh, that level. And uh, I'm just really, really happy with the, with the comeback, you know, in that, uh, in that way with my, my feeling and uh, my level. Elsewhere in red group, Daniil Medvedev reached his third ATP final semi-final by beating Alexander Zverev. Medvedev won in straight sets 7-6-6-4. Reports have emerged that World Rugby admitted to an officiating error that was made in the World Cup final. World Rugby has allegedly privately acknowledged that Aaron Smith's try for New Zealand against South Africa should have stood. The try was ruled out due to an earlier Ardi severe knock-on. The laws prevent officials from intervening for knock-ons if play has gone past two phases. When the try was scored, New Zealand had gone through four phases. World Rugby has allegedly acknowledged the error to New Zealand, but will not do so publicly. New Zealand did score a try after the Smith score was ruled out. However, the Springboks would eventually win the controversy-filled match 12-11, securing their fourth World Cup title. The Beijing Ducks and City rivals the Royal Fighters have met in the first capital clash of the Chinese Basketball Association season. The Royal Fighters managed to claim a 109-103 victory. Beikong coach and former Ducks coach Min Lu Lei praised his team's attacking efforts. Facing a top team, defense is only one aspect, and the key is to play good offense. We shot well in the fourth quarter to turn the game around. Royal Fighters guard Zhang Fang said his coach gave him confidence to perform well. Coach Min trusts me and I also believe I could regain my form. He said the opposing defense will focus on me and boosted my confidence in practice. So I just stood up and played with no fear in this game. Elsewhere in the CBA, the defending champion Lao Ning Flying Leopards crushed the Tianjin Pioneers 107-75. The NBA has suspended Golden State Warriors forward Draymond Green for five games without pay. The league stated that Green escalated an on-court altercation in the contest with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Green was one of three players ejected after a fight during the game. Green's history of unsportsmanlike conduct played a role in the length of his suspension. Clay Thompson and Jaden McDaniels, who were also rejected, were fined $25,000 US dollars. Green will also lose close to $800,000 as a result of the suspension. And finally, Deshaun Watson will miss the rest of another NFL season. The Cleveland Browns' first-choice quarterback will undergo surgery to repair a fracture in his throwing shoulder. An MRI revealed Watson had a displaced fracture in his right shoulder. Team doctors determined Watson needed immediate surgery to avoid further structural damage. Watson is expected to be back for the start of the 2024 season. However, he may be able to throw again in two to three months' time. In 2022, the Browns signed Watson to a five-year contract, 
worth a record 230 million US dollars guaranteed. Thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates. Coming up in Culture and Entertainment, a gathering of experts at the Sanxingdui Ruins in Sichuan Province. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men, Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 53 minutes past the hour. And turning to culture and entertainment, Yang Guang joins us now. Thank you, Shane. Archaeologists and researchers from across China have gathered in Sichuan for a symposium on the findings at the Sanxingdui ruins, a major Bronze Age culture dating back more than 3,000 years. Representatives from 20 research institutions and universities shared the latest achievements in areas such as archaeological excavation, cultural relic protection, and technological application. The Sanxingdui ruins, 40 kilometers from Chengdu, attracted massive public interest in March last year after more than 500 relics were unearthed. It's the largest discovery since the first major excavation at the site in 1986. Ahead of the Wushu World Championships in Texas, the popularity of the Chinese martial art has been growing in the U.S. and beyond. Tony Waterman has more. The ancient art of Chinese Wushu taking root in Austin, Texas. Many of the students here practice three times a week and have been since they were five years old. Dia Kamarin says Wushu is now a part of her identity, a unique way she can express herself. To me, it feels like a dance, you know? It's not necessarily through words, but it's like a very abstract art form. I feel like I can control my mind and my emotions and my thoughts. And wushu, it's not just a sport, right? It's like a whole lifestyle and it involves like discipline and like being able to control yourself and push yourself when you need to. Sisters Ellen and Stella Barta, who both speak Mandarin, say learning wushu has not only helped them make new friends, but it has also deepened their understanding of Chinese culture. I also really like just ma- ma- like making friends with, with each other. And also it's just really fun, like the jumps or something. We have um, a teacher f- like from China, so it's like uh, even more like that we can practice Chinese. And then we're uh, learning wushu uh, like as a plus. Next one! That teacher is yeah. Jing Wu. He's been sharing his love and deep knowledge of wushu for eight years, both in the U.S. and China. Chinese culture, American culture is really different. For example, when I was come here, the kids don't know what I'm talking about. They really don't know. But I just show them something I just like doing a movement. They will, they will understand. Really fine things we make it together and the way we're doing teamwork. Exact numbers on how many people practice wushu in the nice. U.S. are hard to come by. But according to Statista, about 6 million Americans participate in some form of martial arts, an industry worth more than $9 billion a year. Student Charlie Xu, who is originally from Chengdu, says practicing wushu is a way to break through cultural barriers, especially at a time when global tensions are mounting. With everything going on around the world, we can um, also 
uh, let people know that um, at this at, at this very special moment, we are still um, um, try to cool down to um, by uh, practicing martial arts wushu or Chinese kung fu to promote this kind of um, very special culture from China to share that uh, with the people all around the world. That was Tony Waterman reporting. A new art museum has opened in Xizang with a display of nearly 300 works by famous artists. The Xizang Art Museum in Lhasa is the first regional-level art museum in the region. The museum will highlight the role of fine arts in Xizang's economic and social development. Museum officials want to better cater to the demand to pursue a higher quality of life for people in the region. And finally, an immersive event promoting Chinese tea and incense culture has impressed Egyptian visitors in Cairo. Hosted by the city's Chinese Cultural Center, the three-day Chinese tea and incense salon offered a themed lecture. This included tea tasting and the demonstration of incense burning and tea making. This helped the students to learn about two iconic elements of the Chinese traditional lifestyle. All right, thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with Culture and Entertainment. We're about 58 minutes past the hour. Beijing's down to minus one overnight. It'll be followed by sunny skies and a high of 10 on Friday. Chongqing's at nine tonight. Tomorrow's sunny with a high of 16. Last is zero this evening, then cloudy and 16. Hong Kong's down to 18 degrees and then sunny with a high of 23. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 11 overnight. It'll get showers and 16 on Friday. Islamabad's 12 this evening evening, then mostly cloudy in 26. Uh, Bangkok's down to 24 degrees and partly cloudy in 33. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, the Chinese president's proposed a plan for promoting cooperation between Beijing and Washington. And Israeli troops have withdrawn from the Al-Shifa hospital in Gaza after a 16-hour military operation. On behalf of the staff, Shane Begum and the Chinese capital. I think you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From North to South, East to West, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 